Hey, uh, Kendra and I uh, got married, and a year later, we moved to New Zealand and, and spent several years in the 1980s in New Zealand. We were both six and seven at the time. Uh, but, uh, but we were there to, to plant a church with another couple, and it was, it was really difficult, as you can imagine, but by God's grace and goodness, uh, it got done. One of the great difficulties of that work was just simply being so far away from home. We were literally halfway around the world. And this was before the internet. This was before cell phones, before FaceTime, Facebook. Uh, letters took about seven to ten days. And a phone call was about $2 a minute, if I remember right. It was just really hard to communicate. And, and so homesickness was always a, a threat. Holidays were challenging, as you can imagine, and I remember especially Christmas of 1986, our co-workers were going to go back home, they were going to travel home for Christmas, and we weren't. And even weeks out, we were wondering how we would handle that day uh, when they were away and we were essentially by ourselves because we didn't have any children at that point, and we we didn't really know uh, that many people in New Zealand. We had a small church, but we were, we were concerned about being homesick. I had to uh, confess something to Sean the other day. He, he asked if I would speak today, and, and, and he told me, he said, it's about uh, the new series, Home for the Holidays. It's about Christmas. And, and uh, I told him, I said, I, I would be very delighted to speak and be honored to do so. But I have to confess something to you, Sean. And he looked at me, and, and I'm now going to confess it to you, okay? I love the movie Christmas Vacation. I don't know. <laughs> You're not Cousin Eddie, are you? No. <laughs> but I love the movie Christmas Vacation. It's really rough around the edges. Uh, you know, it's a little questionable, a little sketchy at times. But, but, but you know what? It's, it's uh, something I love, and I'm not alone, obviously, and, and I, think, I think our appeal uh, about Christmas vacation is more than the quotable lines, which are gifts that keep on giving the whole year through, and it's more than the uh, goofy but lovable characters. Uh, I, think, I think the appeal of Christmas vacation is that it's a snapshot of a guy, Clark Griswold, who is trying to craft and, and put together this perfect Christmas gathering. So he plans it, he prepares for it, he fantasizes about it, he romanticizes it, and then family shows up all arguing and bickering and complaining and criticizing. Little lights, they aren't twinkling. Yeah, I know. And then Cousin Eddie rolls in in the RV, the tenement on wheels, and... and, and Clark is still undeterred. He's on this quest for this perfect Christmas. And I think the movie appeals to us because we really want what Clark wants. We want this perfect Christmas gathering with love, joy, peace, and harmony, all fueled by sentiment and uh, just nostalgia. We want everything to be okay for just a little while. That would be great, wouldn't it? That's what we want. You know, in the mid-1940s, uh, Bing Crosby recorded the song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And you know how it goes. And 
I didn't realize this. It was written during the Second World War, and it's written from the standpoint of a soldier stationed overseas who couldn't get home for Christmas. And so he says, I'll be home for Christmas. And it has kind of a sad ending because at the end, he says, I'll be home for Christmas one last time. And then he says, what? If only in my dreams. And so he fantasizes about coming home where everything is perfect. Presents, mistletoe, and snow. But he's not going to make it. And then I thought about, there's probably some of you in the room who have had that experience uh, being overseas at Christmas time. Here's a question. Why, why is a gathering at Christmas such a big deal? Why do we try to, to craft this perfect thing? Why is traveling home for Christmas such a powerful, emotional, iconic thing for many of us? I have a theory, and it could be wrong, but, but I don't think it is. My theory is that we see this time of the year and we see a Christmas gathering as an opportunity to, to have everything just right with our families. We, we hope that we can all get together. There will be love, joy, peace, and harmony, and, and maybe there'll be some snow falling and we'll have a white Christmas and we'll sit by the fire and it pops and cracks and we hold warm beverages and we look at each other with adoring eyes. Yeah, it's a fantasy. It really is in lots of ways. But I think that's, that's what we really think we might be able to pull off. And, and my theory is that that's, that's something that's related to a deeper, a deeper thing, a deeper longing that we have in our hearts. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has planted eternity, eternity in our human hearts. But even so, people cannot we can't, we can't quite grasp it. We can feel it. We can sense it. But we can't, we just can't quite get it, even though we try. And, and I, think, I think our longing for the perfect Christmas is an indicator of that deeper ache that we have, that God-given longing for an eternal gathering where everything will be perfect. I have a question. Uh, Do you think Jesus ever got homesick? Think about it. We kind of made reference to it that you know Jesus leaves his perfect heavenly home and he he comes here he he uh, pitches his tent with us he moves into our neighborhood John chapter 1 and he experiences life as we experience it all the way from birth and he rubs up against the rebellion he rubs up against the injustice he sees pain and suffering up close and personal, and feels it. He even weeps several times. He weeps with us and for us. And, and also, though, he, he shows us how to live in this world that's broken and still have peace and joy and confidence. And he, he can pull that off because he has a relationship with his father, who is our father, who's back home. And he stays in touch with his father back home through the spiritual practices that we looked at over the last several weeks. And, and so he stays in touch. And it's really interesting. I love John's gospel, and I recommend it if you're trying to find faith. There, there are a few verses in John's gospel that really enlighten us as to how Jesus views and manages his time away from home. John chapter 13, we talked about that, I think, a couple weeks ago, maybe last week. It's in the, the final hours of the life of Jesus, and it says that Jesus knows that it's time to go home. It says he knows where he came from. He knows where he's going. He's going back home to be with his father. 
And again, I wonder if Jesus ever got homesick. And I'm, I'm going to say I think he did. Because he experienced his life as we experience it. And I, I wonder if he got homesick, he then didn't deal with it by thinking of what it would be like to go home. Because that's the way we deal with it. We, we, we dream about being home. And I'm thinking Jesus probably did the same thing. And as the hours pass and he gets closer to his departure, he, he prays about it and he, and he prays for us in John 17. He says, I'm, I'm coming to you, Father. I know, I know it's time for me to come home. It's time for me to travel home and I've enjoyed my time here. This is my paraphrase. I've enjoyed my time here and now I would love to, to have those people also enjoy their time here. I know it's difficult, and I ask you to protect them. I ask you to put your word in their heart. Protect them from the evil one. And at the end of that prayer in John 17, Jesus says something to me that is just so powerful and so encouraging. It makes me smile. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. To see my glory. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I want, I want you guys, I want you to be with me in my forever home where everything is perfect in the presence of God. There is peace, love, joy, and harmony, and there's no more death, there's no more disease, there's no more problems, there's no more pain. All those things have, are now gone. And I believe that's what we all dream of. That's all, what we all ache for. We, we just, you just want things to be right. You just want things to be peaceful. You just want everything. Just, just, just wish there weren't any problems. Just for a little bit. So we, we long for that. And that's where Jesus is. And that's what he's offering us. And I think this is the deep-seated, God-giving ache within our souls. So what do we do with it? We can feel it if we think about it. We feel that things just aren't ever quite right. So what do we do in the meantime while we wait to go home? Advent's all about waiting. What do we do while we wait to go where Jesus is? Well, clearly the answer is always to look at Jesus. And so we look at him and we look at his practices and we look at the way he managed his time on earth. We look at his prayer. We look at his mission. And what we see is that Jesus did not withdraw from the world but rather he entered it and engaged it and, and I think he's asking us to do the same thing don't don't withdraw from the world but actually get in the world we're we're in the world we're in it but we're not of it what's that mean it means that we are to continue and carry on the work of Jesus to continue his mission to to uh, show people how to love and, and how to treat each other and, and to share the message of the gospel with people and, and to make disciples. That's, that's what we do in the meantime. Jeremiah 29 is often quoted, verse 11. It talks about, um, you know, I have a plan for you and all that, which is good. But we take it out of context. It, it becomes even more powerful if you put it in context and think about it from the lens of waiting on something. The people have been carried, the people of God have been carried into Babylonian captivity. And they're going to be there for 70 years. And they're going to wait to go back home. You know what God says? He, he doesn't say be miserable. He says, look, while you're there, while you're waiting to go home, I want you to go ahead and get married. I want you to build houses. I want you to plant gardens. And here's the kicker. I want you to pray for the prosperity of the city in which you live, the foreign city. 
Go make the world in which you're living a better place. We know it's not your home. You're going to go back home later. But while you are waiting to go back home, work to make where you are better. And so this, this becomes a model which is embodied literally by Jesus and, and demonstrated by his life of what we do while we wait to travel home. We work to make this world a better place even as we long for a permanent home. And this longing for something better, this longing for something permanent is, is from God. It comes from God. And when we acknowledge it, it makes him proud. I love Hebrews, and I love Hebrews 11 especially because it pictures a bunch of people who are pretty flawed. We think, oh, these guys are great Bible characters. If you look at their lives, they're, <laughs> they're pretty flawed. They do some things that you would never do. And yet there they are in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And as the preacher thinks about them and he sums them up, he sums them up using language of traveling home. He says that they live their lives like foreigners on this earth. And then he hits it home in verse 16. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And it basically says, and God's not ashamed to be called their God. In other words, he's proud of them. He's proud of us when we recognize that. And here's the kicker, he is prepared. He's got a home prepared for us, waiting for us. And, and here's another thing that comes out of John's gospel. While we wait and while we work and long for home, we're not alone. Jesus promises his spirit in, in John 14 through 17. And in here in John 14, he says, hey, if you love me and, and uh, want to be a part of me, I will come and I'll live at your house. And so God as Father, Son, and Spirit are, are a promised presence in the lives of all of us while we wait and helps us to live appropriately as we long for this future home. A lot of you love C.S. Lewis, and I do too. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about this deep longing. I ran into this several years ago. I was fascinated by it. This longing that we have deep in our souls, deep in our hearts. He used a German word. Do we have any Germans in here today? Good. Uh, so you won't, you won't know when I mispronounce the word, Zinzut, uh, okay, Zinzut. And, and he says it's, it's really a concept, this idea that we have this inconsolable longing in our heart and we can't really figure out exactly what it is. And, and he says we're made to enjoy something that we can't quite grasp, we can't even quite imagine it. And he says there's this... Uh, there's this unquenchable longing that kind of haunts us. But it's not bad because it points, it points to something else. And then finally he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Well, I like that. I like that. And so this helps us understand what it means to have eternity planted in our hearts, I believe, in Ecclesiastes 3.11. And, and we try to grasp it, but we, but we can't quite. And here, you may laugh at this, but I think that's what Clark Griswold is trying to do. I think that's what he's trying to do as he crafts this gathering. And it's what we try to do when we... we uh, craft a, a perfect Christmas gathering. We're trying, to, we're trying to grasp this eternity in our hearts and, and we're doing something that is actually good. It's not wrong. It's, it, 
it becomes kind of a, a, a dim reflection or a foretaste or a foreshadowing of that uh, permanent gathering that we will have. And if you think about it, Clark, despite all the things that happen, kind of pulls it off. Because in the end, he, it's not what he expected, but you have uh, a victim, a perpetrator, the police, and a bunch of mixed up, messed up family. And what do they do at the end? They all sing, they commune, they have a great time. It's a redemption story, it really is. I may be stretching there, but... I think that... In 1986, as Christmas approached, Kedra and I decided that we would take the words of Luke 14 to heart. Because in Luke 14, Jesus says, hey, have a great banquet. And when you have a great banquet, don't invite your family. Here's what you do. You go out and you invite people who are poor. Invite the crippled, he says. Invite the lame. Invite the blind. That's just code language for the first century. Of uh, Go out and find the marginalized people. Find the misfits, the oddballs, the left behinds, and invite them to your house. Because it's a reflection of the messianic banquet. What he's saying. And so we decided to invite an odd mixture of people to our house, some who are part of our fledgling church plant, some who were, we hoped would be, we're studying the Bible with them. So we, we said, Come to our house on Christmas Day. We knew these people didn't have any other place to go either. Come to our house, number four Downing Street in Glenfield, Christmas Day, I think two o'clock, and we'll have a Christmas gathering. And in New Zealand, Christmas falls in the summertime, so it was a warm, sunny, if not hot day when they started showing up. Just a few. Here comes Tim, the photographer, young guy who was pretty weird, <laughs> but he shows up. And here comes Carl, his friend who is a genius, really, a computer whiz, and he's kind of got a wild look in his eye and his hair, kind of wild. He has a yellow sock and a red sock, and that's just the way Carl rolled. He was great. He still is. And then there was Jane who had and caused all kinds of pain. We called her Jane the Pain. Term of endearment sometimes, most of the time. But we loved her, we loved her. And so she comes, and here comes Mark, a guy I've been studying the Bible with. Mark's probably the strangest guy I've ever met, and I won't go into it, but Mark comes and he brings his mother, and then we realize why Mark is so weird. And uh, <laughs> just like. And then here comes Jay, Jay Hoey, uh, an Australian, just the finest looking young man you'd find. He's neat and tidy, prim and proper. He was an Australian living in New Zealand because he was a flight attendant for Air New Zealand, and he comes. What an odd, weird collection of people. It was uh, quite, a, quite a gathering. And so we got together, and we cooked out, and we laughed, but we remembered we remembered the reason for the season, because I told them. <laughs> and we remembered that we had a Savior who came to this earth, experienced our lives. And we remembered that he showed us how to live, he showed us how to die, and he died for us. And we, we remembered that he rose from the dead, and, and then we remembered that he went back home. He went back home. And so... I've reflected on that gathering over the years, and to me, it's a dim reflection of the great banquet in Isaiah 25. You should go read that this afternoon. And, 
And, and it's a reflection of those gatherings in Revelation where uh, every nation, tribe, language, red, yellow, and black, and white get together. And what, what do we see happening? We're sitting together eating, and we're enjoying, we're celebrating, and worshiping in the presence of God along with myriads of angels. And, and we remember that we are now in our forever home with none of the stuff that creates problems for us and I felt like that we got a taste of that a long time ago on a hot summer day in New Zealand and it was soul satisfying for just a little while but you know what the longing the longing to remain where Jesus is remains and it will remain until we get there we'll never be fully satisfied in this life I'm convinced because we long for the completion of God's story where everything will be made right we know that we sense it it's in our heart and I'm sure that's what we all long for you long for it I long for it because God has put it in our hearts and he's made it possible for us to experience eternal life through Jesus that's it you know Jesus comes and he lives and he dies and he dies for us he takes our sins away what he does and then he shows us there's resurrection there's life after death because he rises from the dead and then he ascends he goes back home he travels home and he assures us that he is waiting for us he has prepared a place for us and that's what we want we want to be in the presence of Jesus and he makes it possible and how do we how do we respond to that well we hear it about every week here which is good you put your faith in that story and you walk away from your other story and, and then uh, you, you ask Jesus to save you and reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in the waters of baptism. You rise up out of the water to live, to live a new life as you uh, long for the day when you'll go home to be where he is. Now I want to say something as I close and that, that is this, that I know this is a really, really hard time of the year for some people some people hate this time of the year and and i understand that and i i know why you don't dream of a great christmas gathering instead you're trying not to relive a nightmare because of a death a divorce or a ruined relationship or myriads of other things and so it's a painful time and my my prayer is um, that your pain will be swallowed up and taken away as you realize you're just not home yet. You're just not home. And some sweet day, some sweet day, you'll exchange your pain for the glory of arriving home. Paul speaks of it in First Corinthians, or in Romans 8, first of all. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to what it'll be like when we go home. Just, it just, it's just, incomparable and then finally he says in first corinthians 2 hear this no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind has imagined what home's going to be like it's just going to be beyond what we can see hear or imagine and even though we haven't seen it and we can't imagine it we feel it we feel it in our hearts. We feel it in our souls. We long for it, and we want to go home. That's what we want. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for uh, giving us the hope.
that we have, especially this time of the year, we're reminded of uh, lots of things, uh, especially hope that we have a heavenly home. Father, this world is difficult. It's difficult for all of us. It's especially uh, difficult for uh, some who've experienced a lot of things, and we pray that your grace and mercy will be with them. Father, help us as we wait to go home to be faithful to you in all things, to, to, um, to, to make this world a better place. We ask that you just bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen.